Hey, just want to remind you, we're going to have DealMaker Live this year in Dallas, Texas, July 16 to 17. Head over to DealMakerLiveEvent.com to grab your tickets. It's going to be in person or virtual, whichever you prefer. I'll see you there. Well, hey, DealMakers. Welcome to the show where it's all about financial freedom with real estate. Today's guest and topic is, guess what? Financial freedom with real estate. Yes, that's right. We're going to talk about a firefighter who achieved financial freedom. But before we get into this, have our co-host on the show here today, Garrett Lynch. What's going on, Garrett? What's going on, Michael? So obviously with COVID, we saw a lot of changes in the, on the lending side. And we've talked about it on previous episodes. That has stabilized quite a bit. We've had some bridge lending come back uh, recently, which is pretty cool. But I want what are you seeing on the debt sponsor requirements side? So in other words, what are lenders looking for from the sponsor with regards to, say, liquidity, net worth, anything else? Like, what are you seeing right now? Yeah, so this is actually great topic because not everybody really pays attention to this. Like you, you go into some of these debt deals and it's different. If you go to a local bank, like a, a small bank or, or something like that, their requirements are completely different from the non-recourse debt side of things because, you know, they just, they just change. I mean, they're, they're going to have, you know, stricter policies on that side. And also what happened was prior to COVID, it was a lot more lax on a sponsor requirements. For example, they had bridge debt programs that existed then where you could come in as a sponsor and you could you only needed to put up 50, well, have a net worth of 50% of the loan size and 5% liquidity. Now you want to get a bridge debt loan. It's gone back up to 100% and they want at least 10% liquidity most times. In addition, they want the sponsors to come up with five to 10% of the equity to just to get the loan. And so it's changed. It's gotten more stringent on the sponsor. And so you have to make sure you're set up properly to be able to do the deal. I mean, there's nothing worse than going after a deal that you think you can do and then finding out, oh, I can't even get the right loan on this because I'm not strong enough. And so having awareness around that and understanding where the market is and where things are falling is, is so important right now. Yeah, it's interesting. The debt market is changing uh, rapidly. And I, I always feel like the debt makes a big difference. So your relationship with a lender at this point, if you can get better de debt than the next buyer, makes you more competitive. I know that you taught you favor working with a broker and not so much with a direct lender. It depends on, on the, the, again, on the market. So last year, I favored a direct lender because they're cheaper and because during COVID, there was no bridge debt at all. And so what happened is all the bridge debt dried up then and it resurfaced this year, it came back. And now I don't even know who the players are anymore because they all, a lot of the shops shut down prior to COVID and they're reemerging as new shops. So I don't even know where they exist. So, that, so I'll go to the broker that this is their business to find and seek out these shops and build these relationships. And now I'm going to pin like seven or eight different direct lenders on the bridge debt side against each other to get the best terms possible. So that was the strategy on this one. Now it just, it changes really with the market and the brokers that you find out there, they're going to know the market really well because this is, that's all they do is they talk to these guys all the time. They're going to be able to give you the best insight prior to even going into a deal. So I like right now, I like, I like working with the brokers. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. So today's guest is uh, Timothy Lyons. He's actually a New York City firefighter. 
He's been there for 15, 16 years as a lieutenant in the borough of Queens. And he got into real estate not too long ago with the idea that he's going to start small and, and maybe generate some passive income so he can spend a little bit more time with his wife and three little girls. In December 2019, he bought his first triplex, literally right before COVID hit, used his own money. And then he, of course, ran out with his own money, and he didn't even think he could raise $200 to scale his portfolio. Today, he's literally raising $2.5 million for the first syndication. And we want to know how he got here, because he had to overcome quite a few mental blocks that he talks about on the show. So let's get right in the show with Tim Lines. You're listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast, where we'll talk about all aspects of buying apartment buildings with a special focus on raising money from others. And now, your host, Michael Block. Hey, Tim, welcome to the show today. Hey, Michael. Hey, Garrett. Thanks for having me on. So tell us a little bit why you got started with real estate. In other words, what was going on in your life that made you start thinking and looking at real estate? Yeah, like so many of your listeners, Michael, I was a hardworking W-2 employee. I happened to have two. I had two jobs that I absolutely loved. Right now, I work as a lieutenant in the New York City Fire Department. It is the greatest job in the world. And for a long time, I was an ER nurse at a level one trauma center. And uh, things were great. You know, I was working, I was getting paid, I worked my own hours. And all of a sudden, I had kids and I was married. And I found myself working 60, 70, sometimes 90 hours a week uh, between overtime and picking up shifts. And, you know, I can't sit still. So, you know, at the end of the day, when my kids got to be a little older, I mean, right now they're 10, 7, and 2. When they were super small, they didn't say anything. But when they're a little older, uh, Michael, they were kind of saying like, Dad, where are you going? I can't, you just got home. You're going to leave again. And, you know, it, it started to wear on me, you know, and real estate was one of those things that I always thought I would do, you know, someday, someday I'll do this and someday I'll do that. And, you know, I, I now know there's a term for that called the arrival fallacy or the destination fallacy. And, you know, I had, I had been, you know, reading books and reading the Wall Street Journal ever since college. And I knew real estate was something that I always kind of attracted me. So I kind of did the journey, the standard, get yourself educated. You know, I think I have to do single family first and maybe I'll do a fix and flip. I don't know. You know, and I started to go to their meetups and I started to listen to podcasts. And really what happened was I, I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, uh, the book that kind of changes a lot of people's lives. And I read it in two days on family vacation with my little kids, you know, running around. And I simply leaned over to my beautiful wife, Christina. I said, babe, I said, I'm going to be a real estate investor. And she knows I'm always on to the next thing. So she said, sure, Tim, sure you are. Uh, Michael, four months later, I was closing on my first three family property. And, um, you know, from then, I mean, that was summer of 19. I read the book, November of 19, I'm closing on the three family. So that was really my, uh, my first foray into real estate investing. So that's pretty cool. So you had a three family that you closed on. Did you use your own funds for that? Or how did you how did you uh, finance that? Yeah, so I've been a pretty diligent saver. And um, we use I use my own, my own funds. And, you know, I think I just needed that proof of concept like so many other people need. I think real estate really has a marketing problem. You know, when you tell people you're a real estate investor, they think of like, you know, a late night infomercial fix and flip, you know, live your dreams, drive a Ferrari tomorrow type of, of business. And that's just simply not how it is. I mean, you know that and I know that, but a lot of people don't understand that. So anyway, I, I think I needed that, that proof of concept. I needed to do it myself. I was always kind of those, you know, people that I, I need to do it myself. I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. Just somebody calls, somebody out there calls it the IMA mentality. You know, once I had that proof of concept and I, you know, had some hands-on work, you know, I rehabbed uh, the first floor unit. I inherited two other tenants. 
and we started cash flowing and I did a little better on my taxes. And then my wife had the proof of concept because, you know, at the end of the day, she was supportive of me, but she didn't really want a material participation in the family real estate business, you know? But then once we had that proof, I, I quickly realized that I had the capital for maybe one more purchase, one more similar type purchase. And, you know, the cash flow was nice. And I think I just wanted to go bigger, faster. I had been listening to podcasts like yours. And I'm hearing all these stories of people kind of just like me, like, you know, family guys, W2 workers who are making the shift. And I kind of had that in the back of my head. So I'm saying, am I going to do another three family or a duplex or a quad? Or should I really investigate how this multifamily thing works? And what did you do? What did you find? So I found out some of the answers that I didn't necessarily want to hear, Mike. You know, I said, um, wow, I, I have to maybe pay for some education or uh, get a coach or a mentor or, you know, work for free for a year or two under somebody else. But I had to find the people that were doing what I wanted to do. And I had to go align myself with people like that. And, you know, real estate's funny because a lot of people have a very similar uh, trajectory. And then they started down this personal development, you know, Jim Rohn and, and Zig Ziglar and, you know, this whole nine yards. And, you know, you are the average of the five people that you're uh, surrounded with. And uh, that was totally me. Well, that's, that's a good point, though. I mean, and unfortunately, you, I, this was the case for me. When I was looking around, there was no one around me that uh, was going to support me. Like my friends and family, even my, my parents were like, dude, isn't that kind of crazy? Like, I don't think you should do that. It sounds very risky. So you're looking around. And there's no support around you. You kind of feel like you're crazy. I don't know if you had a similar feeling. What was that like for you? Yeah, I want to stack on top of that with like two things. Number one, I thought I knew what investing was. I thought I knew a lot about money. It turns out that I kind of knew, but I didn't really know like the power of leverage and the and how money works and the velocity of money and taxes. Like taxes to me was something that, all right, I submitted my taxes at the end of the year and I always got a couple of thousand dollars back. Sweet. You know, I mean, that was like the extent of my tax knowledge. But then I find myself, I'm reading multiple books, signing up for seminars about taxes, you know, things that would put other people to sleep. I'm actually like ravenous trying to get as much education as possible. And the other thing is, you know, listen, I love being a New York City firefighter. I work as a lieutenant in the borough of Queens now. And, you know, I've been doing it for 16 years. But, you know, in the civil service type of of space that I, I play in, a lot of it is centered around the pension and the 457 or your 403B or, you know, and, and a lot of guys kind of, you know, talk about that. And that's the extent of the, the investing, you know, and somebody may know a guy or somebody may know a guy for this, but it wasn't something that I could get necessarily in the firehouse. So I had to kind of go beyond my, my own realm of who I was with. And I had to go, you know, find a mentor, find a coach, you know, so I can basically collapse those timeframes and do what I wanted to do in a shorter amount of time. And so, all right, so you know, another good point though, I know Gary, want to get to something here, but you said you had to overcome the resistance to try to pay for a mentor or a coach. And let's talk about that for a second, because it's, you know, if you if you, or you bring on a mentor or coach for anything in life, could be health or or relationships, you know, these cost money. They're very rarely are they free, and the ones that you that you get free typically aren't the ones that are going to get your results. How did you overcome or justify a significant investment in a coach? Yeah, that came with a lot of growth in a very short amount of time. And I think what happened was, you know, being from New York, I always joke around that I have a healthy dose of skepticism baked directly into my DNA. So when I'm, you know, investigating some of these coaching programs um, and they cost, you know, tens of thousands of dollars, some of them, 10, 20, 30, 50,000, 
you know, at first I was blown away being like, I would never pay that kind of money because what is my return on investment going to be? You know, I could maybe go buy a triplex or a duplex and, you know, you know, and, and me, 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 and I, 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 and what I really had to take a step back and say, well, listen, let me investigate it a little further. Let me talk to some other students in different programs. Let me see what their experience was and how, you know, a, a mentorship really works. Cause there's only a certain amount of information you can find online or on biggerpockets.com or, you know, whatever. So I think in about three to six months, I really had to wrap my head around, listen, I need to align myself with a network. You know, you're not paying for just a coach. You're not paying for just some, you know, videos and some content. You're paying for a network. You're paying for people to be around you. They're doing what you want to do every single day. If you have a question, you raise your hand and say, listen, I need some help in underwriting. I need some help with due diligence. And, you know, there's a level of comfort that literally you cannot buy because, when you have that comfort and you're going to jump into a deal, there's just no better way to do it, in my opinion. So, you know, once I kind of worked through it, me and my wife talked about it because, you know, we paid, you know, a lot of money and or what I thought was a lot of money. But I got to be honest with you, Mike, if I lost everything today and I had to start over tomorrow, I would go into another coaching program on day one and I'd find some way to pay for it because it's that valuable. You know, it's, what's really cool about that is like, it wasn't just like you... When you think, if anybody, anybody that's listening right now, think about if somebody takes the time, they give you money and they say, Hey, I just wanted an, an hour of your time. And they, let's say they give you a thousand bucks. Imagine how much you're going to pay attention to that conversation. You want to give that person everything you have in that. Right. And so even, you know, with, with uh, the education platform that with TMB and all that, that's it, a similar setup. And that that time that you're getting is so valuable because people are actually paying attention to it. Your education, it's kind of funny, even on the tax side and a lot a lot of things in life, it really began after your your initial schooling, right? And so, so to think, oh, I got to go back to that right later in life and spend maybe even more than I spent before on that. It's kind of hard to wrap your head around, but. I love how you just kind of, you, you realized that that was necessary, not just for the education, but also to get around other people that were thinking in a similar way and kind of buying yourself into that group. So that that's amazing. 100%. And yeah. a little known fact is I, um, I started this whole process on March 1st of 2020. And this is right around the time that COVID is kind of like amping up. So it was a perfect time to get into real estate, right? <laughs> perfect time. Not, well, no, well so. let's talk about the perfect time, though. I think when <laughs> yeah. you mentioned that, because people are like, is now the right time to get in? You know, and they all, they, the funny thing is they've asked that question for me for the last five years, every single time. Is now the right time? Is now the right time, right? And, and you get in at arguably the worst time, yet somehow magically you were still successful. Yeah. So hundred percent. And believe me, that played into my calculation too. I'm like, man, COVID, you know, is it coming? Is it not coming? And we were just about, you know, you know, we were like three, four weeks away from getting crushed. Right. So we did it. And I got to tell you, I work in a pretty heavily immigrant populated neighborhood in New York city, and they got crushed by coronavirus to the point where Michael, I was doing 24 hour shifts and every 24, we were doing 10 to 12 sometimes more CPR like cases, right? And nobody was making it. And it was like crazy. It was just like, we weren't even doing any fire calls. All you heard on the radio was CPR, 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 CPR. So, you know, I had a brand new baby at the time. She was a couple months old and it was my third one. And I would come home from work and I tell my wife this and she's like, Tim, is it even safe for you to be home? 
because at the time we didn't even know what was really going on, right? COVID was kind of like, you know, not, not a lot of answers. So I ended up moving into my mother-in-law's house for seven weeks and my mother-in-law moved into my house for seven weeks. And I could have just quit. I could have just said, man, this, this stinks. Like I'm in a, in a hole right now and you know, I'm depressed, but you know what? I had just bought myself into a, a coaching program. So I woke up at five o'clock in the morning. I crushed through material the entire day. And by about week three or four, I'm talking to my accountability coach and I'm like, I think I'm ready to make some phone calls. And I just started calling brokers in the middle of COVID, right? I mean, people were like surprised to hear my voice on the other end. Hey, my name is Tim Lyons. I'm looking for, uh, you know, X and X and in this market. And they're like, uh, okay. You know, so I remember having a call with my coach about a week later. And I said, yeah, I got a portfolio of uh, 526 units over 12 different properties. I'm like, this thing really works, huh? And he's like, yeah, no kidding. You know, this is the way this is the way this is the way it happens. So, you know, listen, I, I, I attribute that time, that seven weeks where I didn't have any contact with my kids and stuff. And it was tough, man, but I had to keep my mind occupied. And I just crushed through material and I was determined. I was defiantly committed to, to making this work. And I really credit that little period of time in, in kind of helping me to where I am today. Yeah, and that's really the secret to deals is, is your brokers. And you can't just call one or two brokers. You're calling more than one or two brokers at this point, right? I mean, how did you, how did you get the deal flow? What, did, what happened? So, you know, Mike, you always talk about the law of the first deal. And I love it, right? And I always think about it. The law of the first deal. Michael Blanc always says the law of the first deal. Well, I'm, a, I'm living proof that the law of the first deal is real. So I had an opportunity of a lifetime to join you know, somebody in my network on their syndication. So I, it was my coach's syndication. It was in Pennsylvania. He gave me behind the curtain look on the due diligence on, you know, just the whole process. And when I joined the network, I really thought I was going to take like, take down like a 10 or a 20 or a 30 unit property down with me and my brothers and my dad, maybe a few friends. I had no ambition to do syndication. I just, that just wasn't what I was going to do. So he invites me on board. I get this education that's like no other because I'm walking, you know, alongside of him in, in, in his process. And I even get a chance to raise a little bit of money. And I thought that I couldn't raise, you know, 200 bucks from somebody. And I ended up raising, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars. And from that point on, I said, oh my God, syndication, this is so powerful. And I think the people in my network, the first responders, the nurses, the doctors, the PAs, like the cops, I'm like, these people, you know, that I'm surrounded by, I don't think they know about this. And I think it could be so powerful for them to learn about it. So that was really how I kind of got into syndication after that. But this is an example of a, of a mindset myth, like that's out there. I think back to when you you said something, I didn't think I could raise 200 bucks. Why did you not think you could raise 200 bucks? You know, it is. It's a mindset shift. It was a paradigm shift that I had to kind of, you know, work around because in my mind, my identity was Tim, the firefighter, Tim, the ER nurse. I was Tim, the father of three and, you know, Tim, the husband. I, there was no part of me that thought that other people would see me as a real estate investor or, you know, this is my first deal and that I could raise, you know, all this money. You know, I grew up right outside of New York City and, you know, I'm friends and my inner circle has, you know, what appears to be a lot of net worth and liquidity. And I thought it was going to be no problem. But I got to tell you, the people who I thought were going to come into my deals were not the people who came into the deal. It was the people who I didn't think the cops and the firemen and the nurses and the PAs and, and people that I worked with and know my work ethic and they know my values and they see me every, every day. 
those are the people that came into the deal and have come into subsequent deals now. Why do you think that is? You no, know, I mean, again, I think real estate investing has a marketing problem, and I'm, I'm, it, it, that's why it's my passion now to kind of get the information out there. I don't think people who grew up necessarily the way I grew up, maybe middle class, lower middle class, you know, we we didn't talk about money at the table during dinner, and if we did, it probably wasn't a great you know conversation, right? You know, we didn't talk about you know syndications and triplexes. It just wasn't a part of the the vocabulary of you know my my childhood or even my my experience growing up. And I don't think it was for maybe many other people either, you know. And I think you know when the SEC kind of changed the law from or the rules from just accredited only to these types of deals to now non accredited slash sophisticated, I think that opened the doors to a lot of people, you know, whereas the conversation was maybe at the country club for the longest time, because let's be honest, I mean, this type of investing has been around for for a long, long, long time. But now the doors are open to kind of a lot more people. And they just need to know that it's out there. And that this is a, you know, a great vehicle, one of the greatest wealth building vehicles out there. It's probably a long answer to your question. Well, no, I mean, here's the thing: is there, I think the the reason is because these are people you you have something in common with. It's it's, it's a shared story, and now you are essentially serving them because you talked about some of the financial vehicles, which sound like a four hundred one k for firefighters. I'm not familiar with that, but they're not familiar with anything else, and they like so many other investors. They're actually it sounds like they're very diligent savers, very financial responsible, but they don't know about these alternative investments. Right, so they're investing their money in essentially these these four hundred one k type funds, getting a very mm-hmm. minimal return. They're subject to volatility in the stock market. It's not generating cash flow. They can't quit their job if they wanted to, and not until they retire to get their pension. And they're always going to be paying uh, probably taxes. I don't know. I don't know what that kind of vehicle is. And so they have all these problems. And you now come to them saying, "Look, let me tell you something. Let me let me tell you how you can own a piece of real estate that that actually gives you above average returns, gives you cash flow, and has tax benefits." And so now you're finding it relatively easy to raise money because you have that that trust, that bond that you have with people, and you have the best financial vehicle on the planet, which is syndications. Makes perfect sense to me. Tim, at what point did you like have to be convinced yourself that this was the vehicle? Was there kind of like a shift? Like at a certain point, you're like, ah, uh, actually, this is this is it. Like this this is the thing. Was it after you bought that property, that three family? Was where did that kind of where did it shift to where you're able to raise money quite a bit easier. Yeah. So, you know, once I bought that property, like right before the, you know, the, that summer of 19, I just really went on a podcast binge. And, you know, I, I think I listened to every single one of Michael's uh, podcasts, if not some of them multiple times, shared multiple podcasts. And you hear all these stories and bigger pockets and, you know, some of the one other ones that are out there. And you just hear these, these W2 type workers who I can resonate with. I'm on the same frequency as them and they're making it happen. And they're walking away from W2 jobs and they're talking about taxes and, you know, cash flow. And, you know, to be honest, living in, in New York City, the New York City area, Investing in real estate really is for like the hedge funds and like the Wall Street type because you can't really cash flow. Now, I'm not saying you can't, but it's very hard to cash flow in the New York City metropolitan area. You know, so when people think that they're investing in real estate, they might make like, you know, 20 bucks a month or maybe they're losing $100 a month and they're coming out of pocket. But to them, it's an appreciation play saying this is New York City. We're, we're, we're bound to win. So on the flip side of that, 
because of our skepticism that's baked into our DNA, no one is really jumping to go invest in Sarasota, Florida, or Austin, Texas, or Phoenix, Arizona, because they can't touch it, they can't see it. And then they have to trust somebody enough to hand over, you know, 50,000 or invest, I should say, 50,000, 100,000 with them. You know, so there's just like that, that limiting belief mindset that is kind of like easy to overcome, but you have to take a little bit of action. You can only take in so much content. You can only read so many books. Eventually, you just have to take the training wheels off, get into it, and build your parachute on the way down. I think a lot has to do with belief. Think about it. If you don't believe you can do something, why would you ever take any kind of action? It doesn't make any sense. If it's a hopeless case, no one's going to do something because what's the point? Therefore, you have to have some kind of belief that you can do it, even like a spark big enough that allows you to take action. And, and it sounds to me like you developed that belief like step by step, but it happened maybe sequentially. Like what is it when you started when you started developing a leaf step by step that you can do that? Do you remember like what happened? Well, yes. I mean, I, I started to actually do the work. I started to see some of the returns. I, st- I did a little better on my taxes. And then all of a sudden, instead of, instead of um, investing in the property, I actually invested in that first syndication with my coach. But also very quickly, I invested some money into a syndication with a pretty big, well-known syndicator in Texas. And every month, I get $291.67. Uh, <laughs> you know? uh, it's just in my account. Boom, boom, boom. And I'm like, holy cow. You know, and I couldn't wait to get my first K-1. And I get the first K-1 statement at the end of the year and I give it to my accountant and he's like, holy Christmas, how did you, how did you get this, you know? And um, well, it's funny you ask. It's a cost segregation study, you know, and the bonus appreciation and, you know, and now I just find myself loving to talk about all of this. But I think it was just coming out of that comfort zone, knowing that other people in my network were doing this thing and, and, and they were successful. So how could I not be successful, right? You got to you got to vet your sponsor, you got to vet the deal, everything that you guys talk about. But at the end of the day, this is a tried and true wealth building vehicle uh, that just makes a ton of sense, especially for that W two employee who might be too busy or have not enough have enough time to do it on his own. So Tim, you're working a, a full time job, you know, at the same time as you're you're dabbling in real estate. How did you find the time? Good question. So when I first bought that three-family house, I was rehabbing the first one unit. And you know, a lot of firefighters are super handy, right? With tools. I'm not one of those guys. I was like allergic to a hammer growing up. And you know, I kind of had to fight my way through this rehab. But anyway, we put new siding on, new roof, we rehabbed the first four unit. And my wife said to me, She goes, Tim, I thought you were gonna do real estate maybe because you were gonna like cut back on the nursing and spend some more time with the family, but you're now doing firefighting, nursing, and rehabbing the unit. You know, you're never home. Um, and I just said, babe, patience, you know, it's going to come, you know, you just got to put in the reps now. But, you know, very quickly, like I said, when I started cash flowing, I really had to make a decision. I said, you know, this is the viable business. And I, I just had to walk away. So I walked away from my, my nursing side job, essentially. Nursing has been my side hustle for, you know, eight, nine years. And I, had a, I went all in on multifamily real estate. And now, I mean, it's been incredible, but in a year's time, I've now done five syndications worth over a hundred million and north of 720 units. So it's just been, it's been incredible. Well, you're about to raise two and a half million for that fifth syndication, right? If I remember our conversation, right? Yes. How did you get to that point from in your mind, I can't raise 200 bucks to now raising two and a half million dollars. What, what has transpired for you to do that? 
So, uh, Michael, I don't know if it was your podcast or somebody else's. I think it was yours. Somebody had said something about if nobody knows what you're doing, then you're not going to be able to do it. So they said, you know, you have to start telling people what you're doing, whether that's social media, uh, whether that's just having conversations. And we just started telling our friends and our family, listen, we're investing in real estate. Here's what we're doing. This is the blueprint. This is what a sample deal looks like. Then very quickly, we, we needed to establish a thought leadership platform. So I had no idea what that even meant, a thought leadership platform. And once I found out that you know you, you got to put content out, you have to become that that leader in the space where people can turn to and say, you know, how am I going to make money in real estate? Oh yeah, Tim Lyons, he does something in real estate. Let me go call him. So we started putting out blog posts. We started getting uh, onto podcasts and telling our story. And in the beginning, it seems kind of tedious and a lot, a lot of work. And you know, oh my god, a blog post. But all of a sudden, we start putting blog posts out on social, LinkedIn, Facebook, right? And now people are inboxing you. And then now they want to get on a phone call with you. And then you get on a phone call. And I mean, it was just, it it was the most incredible thing. And I found that I just loved talking to investors. I loved educating them if they had no idea or if they were seasoned investors, just kind of telling them what we're doing. And I was having all these great conversations. Um, And it was all because we literally just told people what we were doing. What kind of content are you putting out and what platforms are you or what social media are you putting the content out? So yeah, so we like to put out a blog post um, at least monthly. We use active campaign for our, our list. You know, we really found great success with LinkedIn and Facebook. We're about to launch our own podcast, my brother and I, and our own YouTube channel. That's taken a little bit longer than expected to get off the ground. But I mean, you know, getting the blog post out there and really kind of drilling it down that <laughs> It's not written in technical like language. You know, you got to write it so that people can understand what you're talking about. Because if you say to somebody, you know, uh, I, I do real estate syndication, they're going to look at you like you have maybe 50 heads, right? But if you kind of talk to, you know, the investor, like you would have a very casual conversation, uh, we found that people really kind of resonate with that. And we've had some, some pretty good success doing that. So you've come a long way in a short period of time, but you, you really kind of started off almost from from like nothing, especially from a mindset perspective, right? Yeah, I mean, just amazing in, in a short period of time. And anyone watching, listening to this, you know, should should really be inspired by your story because a lot of people are, you know, where you were t- a couple of years ago, you don't have that belief. You don't, you don't even know what's possible and you can't certainly, even if you read a book about it, you can't certainly see yourself doing those things. That might've worked for somebody else, but not for you. So what are some of the lessons you can think of right now for someone that is maybe in your position that you were two years ago? What, what would you, you're sitting across from that, having a cup of coffee or something like that. What would you advise that person? I mean, in a nutshell, over a cup of coffee, I would say, listen, it all starts with education because, you know, when it comes to investing, people want a certain, they want certainty and they want a sure thing. Uh, But unfortunately, I don't care who you talk to. There's really no certainty or sure things out there. Everything comes with a risk. But the antidote to fear is education. So the more you read, listen to podcasts, surround yourself with good people, surround yourself with people that are doing what you want to do or have been successful at doing that thing. I mean, you know, I think somebody had said, like, once you have it 70% figured out, you kind of just got to go with it because you're never going to know everything. You know, if you needed a PhD every time you needed to learn something, you know, nothing would ever get done. Education, and then you got to take that action, right? And then as you're taking that action, you're just going to learn so much more. More doors open, more opportunity comes your way. And you know what? To be honest, you you get in the same, you get in the circle with other people. And amazingly, all of a sudden, your deal flow increases, your knowledge increases. So that's really what I would kind of start with 100%. Was there ever a time 
Tim, when you felt like an imposter, so you, you're like, Hey, I'm trying to become this real estate person, but I don't feel like that. And what kind of helped you overcome that? Like, was there a certain point you remember that shifting? Yeah. So, I mean, the law of the first deal kicked in and very quickly we did our second, we did our second deal and we raised, I don't know, almost $600,000 for that deal. And I was really blown away. And I just thought, you know, a couple of months ago, I was talking to my brother, Greg, I said, I, I, you know, I can't believe this. Right. And all of a sudden I started to think that this had legs. I started to think that, you know, this could be super powerful if we can just get it our story out and just tell people, listen, this is what we're doing. This is how it works. I mean, be more than happy to show you. But I did have an insane amount. And I I guess I still do have some limiting beliefs about what is actually possible. But it really, you know, I had to fail forward. I had had to do it. And if I never did it, then I would say, you know what, I I would be stuck in those limiting beliefs. That and I've surrounded myself with some fantastic, fantastic coaches. I remember hearing podcasts, people spending a hundred grand on coaches. And to be clear, I haven't spent a hundred grand on coaches, but I have spent money on coaches and um, they have helped me with my psychology, with my mindset, some business. And just, it's just getting in the ring. It's getting the ring with the right people and filling up your cup and being positive and just knowing that, you know, people can cheer you on and, and show you the right direction. And, you know, it's, it's been incredible. I want to thank you for, for being on the show here today. How can people connect with you? Yeah, you can come to our website, citysidecap.com. I actually uh, was had an amazing opportunity to be a co-author of a book called uh, Bringing Value, Solving Problems, and Leaving a Legacy. People like the real estate radio guys, Robert Helms, another co-author. So you can download a free copy on my website. Yep, and just, just check us out there. We have a calendar link. If you ever want to have a chat, send an email. Yeah, I love it. And and I again, I just you just you're going to inspire hundreds, possibly thousands of people to take action. If you can do it, I can do it. So, thanks again for being on the show. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Garrett. What a story, huh? Man, you know what? I love these kind of interviews. You get someone, man, what a good guy. You know, he's just he's trying to get out of this rat race situation. He's surrounded by a bunch of people that are really good people, but they just don't have maybe the investment vehicles in front of them to get them where they want to go. He's trying to free up time, you know, with his family and he discovered real estate multifamily specifically. And I, I, you know, the thing I love that he said is that he right away knew he had to surround himself with other people and even pay into like a mentorship situation to, to get somewhere. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's all about it's all about developing belief, and you develop belief. And you talked about uh, several things. Actually, I want to kind of dissect it a little bit. You develop belief first of all by gaining knowledge about you know how something is done. So you know, like reading our book, The Financial Freedom of Real Estate, knowing how a syndication happens. If you can begin to visualize something, you start developing a belief in yourself. So getting some education that addresses part of that. And then the second one is, as you talked about, is taking action, because as you take action, you actually accelerate the learning a lot more. But belief to me is fundamental. I think, you know, in his situation, you know, he was able to spend time, but he was, he had to develop a belief in a time when there was so much uncertainty, like talking about the CPR thing. I mean, I remember COVID when it first hit and we were struggling, like just trying to figure out, like, we already had a business going on trying to figure out how to navigate it. And there was a lot of like fear in the streets and stuff like that. And he was on the front forefront of all that being a New York city firefighter, and then still able to kind of push through and actually get the education, get around, you know, the right people 
And I loved that side of his story in general. I mean, listen, if you're listening to this right now and you don't hear that and you're like, wow, you know, if you able to overcome that during that time and get to this side, you know, I can definitely do that. I mean, I, I don't know what to tell you. I think, I think it's super powerful. Well, I want to leave you guys with some resources because we were missed to not uh, give you some next steps here. Okay. If you're listening to this, sometimes you're like, okay, what do I do next, Michael? So for 10 bucks on Amazon, read this book, Financial Freedom with Real Estate Investing. It's a yellow book, best-selling book. It's got almost 900 reviews at this point. It is, gives you an, an entryway into what syndication looks like and addresses the main concerns about how do I do it without experience and my own money as well. Uh, also, uh, we talked about an online course that we reference education. Ours is called Dealmaker Certification. It really gets you, teaches you, not only teaches you the A to Z syndications from start to finish, but it also gives you kind of a 90-day checklist of what to do once you're done with a course. You can check it out at dealmakercertification.com. That course may be closed right now if you get to it. Also, mentoring. You talked about the importance of mentoring. And you can find out more about that at themichaelblank.com forward slash mentor. And you can schedule a call with us and see if mentoring is right for you. And our community is called Dealmaker Mastermind. Both programs include the mastermind, but we have several hundred people in there. Talk about surrounding yourself with like-minded people. That's called a Dealmaker Mastermind. So I just want to make sure that you guys know some of the resources that are out there. We also talked about uh, building a thought leadership platform. We actually have a program from that as well. It's called Platform Builders. Go to platformbuilders.com. We have a recorded training from that. That is actually delivered live. We open it up that two or three times a year. We'll open it up again later in the year. But you can watch that training, learn a lot about what it is to build an online thought leadership platform, and then get on the wait list. So that's platformbuilders.com. So hopefully that gives you a few next steps depending on where you are. To, uh, what we want to do is make sure that you have the right next step for you wherever you are in your journey to financial freedom. With that, I bid you adieu. I catch you guys next time. Thanks for listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast with Michael Blanc. For more free podcasts, articles, and videos, go to themichaelblanc.com. There, you can also download the free ebook, The Secret to Raising Money to Buy Your First Apartment Building. Till next time.